Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, for those of you who have not met me yet, hi, I'm George. Uh, I'm in the Old Testament department. And uh, to offset Peter Rohr, who is in the New Testament department and preached on the old, I will, I'm in the old and I'll preach on the new today. Uh, if you want to flip back a few more pages back to John chapter 1. As you do that, I'll lead us in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your word and we pray, Lord, that your spirit will nourish us as we read through it and uh, we pray, Father, that uh, you will open our ears to be attentive to what you have to say to us uh, through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All happy families are alike. Each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Anyone recognise those words? Okay, I see one or two hands, all right. Uh, not many hands, though. They're the opening words of Leo Tolstoy's mammoth novel, Anna Karenina. What about this one? Try this one. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Pride and prejudice. Yeah, good, good. Pride and prejudice. It was love at first sight. Cash 22, well done. Yes, very good. Joseph Heller. Uh, this, one, this one's a little harder. The drought had lasted now for 10 million years and the reign of the terrible lizards had long since ended. Any ideas on that one? It's the novel that lies behind the greatest film ever made, that is 2001, A Space Odyssey. Uh, by Arthur C. Clarke. Um, opening lines are really important. They set the scene for what's coming up and they usually give you a bit of a taste of the backstory and try to get you in, uh, try to bring you into the frame, into the world of the story that's being told. And, you know, you could uh, have a look at infinite number of novels and see this, uh, and even just the, the beginnings of movies, because uh, we tend to consume more movies than novels these days, uh, those opening sequences are really, really important. Or perhaps it's the trailer of the movie that gets you in, that gives you a sense of what this series or what this movie's about. I remember watching the trailer for the new Dune movie, uh, and it looks fantastic. I can't wait for it to come out. I'll, Thank COVID for delaying it for a year, but there you go. Uh, it looks really, really good. I'm also looking forward to the Drive to Survive series on Netflix because I'm a Formula One addict. When you read a story, the opening words, they grab your attention and they hold you so that you keep reading. And they begin to introduce to you something of the backstory. The opening lines to John's Gospel are fabulously momentous. But do you know what makes them momentous? They don't just echo down through the centuries of history to us. They also echo back through the centuries to time immemorial, to into eternity. Have a look at it there. And let me just give you the first few words in the Greek. Now, it warms the cockles of my heart, being from a Greek background myself. En arche en hologos. 
in the beginning was the Word. Hopefully, as you hear those lines, you hear the echo of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Those monumental words that open the Scriptures, that introduce us to the Creator, the mighty, powerful Creator of all things, who brought everything into existence with his word. And here, John introduces us to the word, the logos. And we begin to see that this logos is on a par with God. Now, Genesis 1 had been written centuries before John wrote these famous words. And it shaped the worldview of the Jewish nation, of the people of Israel, God's covenant people. How revolutionary are these words that John writes when he says, in the beginning was the word, the logos. In a Jewish context, what John is doing is he's not just simply echoing what we see in Genesis 1, He's going a step further and, in a sense, drilling down deeper than Genesis 1. Because, see, in the Old Testament, we encounter God, the God of creation, the God who enters into covenant with Israel, and we encounter him as he is, as it were, from the outside. We see God as he is on the outside, as He comes to Israel as their one and true God. But what John does here is he takes us onto the inside of God. And what he says to us about this word, this logos, is that at the beginning of existence, at the beginning of time, something was already there. Notice he doesn't say... In the beginning, the word began. Or in the beginning, the word came into being. Or in the beginning, God created the word. We pick it up after the action has already begun, as it were. In the beginning was the word. There is already a past tense in the beginning. Because you see, the story that John wants to give us about the Word is not how the Word comes into being. Nor does John want to tell us about how Jesus became God. He he doesn't want to say that because there's actually no backstory to Jesus becoming God. Jesus is God. The Word was God and existed as God back into eternity. Now, you kind of look at the, you know, the stories that we're used to and, you know, before Batman, there's Bruce Wayne. Before the Hulk, there's Doc Bruce Banner. Before Jesus, there's... Actually, there isn't anything before Jesus. Jesus is, and that's John's point... There is no backstory to the word. The word just simply is. The word exists. 
And it's why we can't go along with what the, uh, the fourth century uh, so-called theologian Arius uh, said about the word. Uh, very famously, Arius was a, was a priest in Alexandria, um, in Egypt, and he came up with the idea that the word had been at some point created. The word had a beginning. And he came up with this little jingle, en ote uk en, there was when he was not. In other words, there existed a time when the word didn't exist. The word came into being at some particular point. And as we read John's words here, we say, no, that cannot be the case. The God that we encounter in Genesis 1 is the word that we encounter in John 1. In the beginning, the word was already there. There is no backstory to the word. The logos is eternal. Now, that particular word, logos, has a lot of freight attached to it. It gets translated as the word. And to some extent, it is echoing the ideas that we see in Genesis 1 of God speaking and bringing creation into being. But there's more to it than that. Through Greek philosophical thought, uh, the Logos was seen, amongst other things, as the rational principle that was inherent within the world, that gave order to the world. It was, it was a thing that held everything together uh, as a reality and as a combined universal reality. Philo even said, Philo, the uh, very famous Jew of the, uh, who was actually contemporaneous with Jesus, uh, he lived in Alexandria and he said, the logos, the word, is that ideal from which all of physical reality derives. In a sense, it's almost like saying the logos is the DNA of reality. And so in one sense, I guess we could say that the universe has the fingerprint of the Logos on it. When it. Wherever you look in the world, in this universe, whether it's at the person who's sitting right next to you, whether it's across the green, whether it's somewhere on Google Maps, whether it's into a telescope to the other side of the universe, you're looking at something that bears the fingerprint of the Logos. You're not looking at the Logos itself as though the Logos somehow is you know, flooded through all reality and disseminated into all of reality, that everything is the Logos. No. The Logos, as John will tell us, creates everything that we see, but he himself exists prior to it. The Logos is the creator. Now, while John doesn't specifically mention the Spirit in these opening verses, he will go on in his Gospel to talk about the Spirit of God as well. What we see here in John's opening words is the framework for understanding the Trinity. We see the Logos being with God. And note the prepositions that get used that show that there is this relationship between the Logos and God. The Logos is with God 
And so in that sense, we can say that there is some kind of differentiation between the Logos and God. But then if we're tempted to think that the Logos therefore can't be God, John then says to us, the Logos was God. And notice he doesn't say the Logos became God. The Logos, who was already there in the beginning, was there in the beginning as God. And so there is a sameness between the Logos and God. And, you know, it's a a very famous theological exercise to try and find some kind of analogy for this. You know, how, how does the Logos relate to God here? How does the Son relate to the Father and the Father to the Son? No matter which analogy you draw on, it's going to fail. Every analogy falls short at some point. That's the nature of an analogy. Okay, There's no such thing as a perfect analogy. If you've got a perfect analogy, you don't have an analogy anymore. You've got the thing itself. And God is so unique that you can't simply compare him to something else and say, yep, here, I look at this and I look at God and I go, yep, there we go, equal footing. We, we can try and, you know, do that kind of thing, but ultimately God needs to be who he is. And the, he is God, the creator, and he is God, the Logos. The Logos is with God and the Logos is God. And, you know, people sometimes object to this whole idea of the Trinity. Oh, look, it's just too complicated. I don't need to know that God's a Trinity and, you know, it's, Trinity is almost like asking how many angels can dance on a pinhead kind of thing. No, 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 no. If we're talking about the one who created us, the one with whom we must have intimate relationship, how can we say it doesn't matter knowing him? Of course it matters knowing him. And some people might say, but the, the word Trinity, it's not in the Bible. At which point I say, yeah, but neither is the word monotheism. But it's there. <laughs> I remember years ago, um, famous McDonald's commercial. Two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. If you're old enough, you might remember the the jingle. I've never mentioned the term Big Mac, but I've just told you exactly what a Big Mac is. The Bible doesn't say Trinity, but with everything that it says, it shows us Trinity. God is triune. Now, as I've said, it's not just simply that creation reflects the Logos, the eternal word. John tells us that the Logos made creation. And again, think about this from a Jewish perspective. God the creator is here identified with the word who, as we keep reading, we know is Jesus. The carpenter, the one about whom in our reading today from John 6, everyone said, but hold on, we know who his parents are. How can he say this about himself? And like, we rubbed shoulders with this guy. He was a kid amongst us. He ran past us, you know, when he was a kid. Yes, 
that very same Jesus is the very one who created the people who asked those questions. Now, notice what John says here. He, he wants to dispel any kind of ambiguity about the word being creator. He says something first in the positive. Notice how he puts it. Through him, all things were made. There's the positive statement. Everything was made by him. And then, just to make sure that you've got the message, he states the same thing in the negative. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Just in case you were tempted to think that the Logos actually was created, a bit like Arius, then John cuts that off at the pass and says, no, 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 we can look at this positively. The Logos made everything. And anything that has been made in creation was made by him. If he was made, then surely he goes into that category of everything that has been made. And he says, but he's not part of that subset. Everything else is, but not the Logos, not the Word. I just imagine John writing this years after having been with Jesus and talked with him, looked into his face, shaken his hand, shared a meal with him and think he actually shared a meal with God the creator of all things. It really is a marvellous, momentous thing that we see here. The Word is the eternal creator. Unfortunately, this is where our Jehovah's Witness friends get it wrong. The Word was not made, but he did make everything. The Word is the eternal creator. Jesus is the eternal God. The God whom Israel encountered in the Old Testament, the God that they encountered on blazing Mount Sinai, the God who sent them prophets time and time again, the God who kept warning them, the God who guided them, the God who wanted them to repent. That's who we encounter in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything in our world has been made by him. From the peak of Everest down to the deepest trench in the ocean, Everything. I mean, you watch those nature documentaries, a David Atten, good old David Attenborough documentary, and you just look at the marvellous nature of creation. When you do, and I encourage you to have a look at them and see the wonder of the fingerprint of the Creator, the Word. Don't believe the documentaries that tell you that this is Mother Nature. No, it's not Mother Nature. It's God, it's the Word who has made this amazing place that we live in. Look at the person next to you. Look at your loved ones. Look them in the face and see the fingerprint of the Lord Jesus Christ who made them. Look at those who are different to you. 
Look at those who come from a different culture. They look different to you. They sound different to you. Even those, perhaps, that you don't even get along with. And see the fingerprint of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you do that, I hope that you don't just simply get an appreciation for creation. I hope within you the love of the Lord Jesus Christ is engendered. Because God so loved this world, he gave his only son. With these opening words of John's Gospel as an anchor point, I invite you to keep reading John's Gospel and see how people respond to this word, to the Logos, to Jesus. Think about how people today respond, particularly as we head into mission. And think about how people might have good intentions about how they view God, about how they view Jesus. He's a good teacher, good bloke. You know, got the rough end of the stick kind of thing. And help them to see that, no, he's, he's more than that. What we encounter in Jesus is the eternal word who created all things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we marvel at the wonder of your revelation we marvel at you as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We marvel at the wonder that we are created by you and we wonder at this word that came into our world to share our own existence. We pray, Father, that you would compel us through the love that you have within yourself between Father, Son and Spirit, that you would compel us with that same love as we look at those and interact with those around us and throughout this wider world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.